I think in your handout last time I gave you the date. So the head of gold is Babylon. The chest and arms of silver were Medo-Persia. The belly and the thighs were the Greek empire. And the belly and thighs of bronze were the Greek empire. And the legs of iron of uh, clay were the Roman empire. And we talked a little bit about uh, each of those empires and the significance what we didn't talk about was the fourth, uh, the, the fifth part of that vision was the stone that was cut out without hands. And so that's where we're going to pick up tonight and, um, and talk about that in relation to those kingdoms. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for our time together in your word. Father, I pray that you would teach us. Lord, you would help us understand how you work through your creation, that history is your story, and we are a part of his story, and we each have a part to play in the story that God writes. Father, we ask that you would help us to see, eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart open to receive all that you have for us. That, Father, we would not become discouraged or dismayed as we look at the things taking place around us any more than Israel or Judah were to be discouraged or dismayed. They were to trust that the sovereign God of creation was in control of everything. Just as you were then, you are now. Father, help us to trust in you even when we cannot make sense of the things happening around us, but knowing that you are continuing to write your story. And the story you're writing today will be someone's history one day that they'll look back on. And hopefully, just as we can learn from our past, Father, they will learn. Lord, as you march forward to bring about the consummation of history in all things, with the glorious return of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and that is the ultimate consummation of history. That is the return of the Lord Jesus. So, uh, as we begin today, um, our text really is all of Daniel chapter 2. I'm not going to read all of Daniel chapter 2. But I'm going to read some of the verses, and we're going to kind of park here for a little bit. Remember we said we're, we're going to try not to get hung up on theology, and uh, we're, we're going to try to give you the big picture. But I feel like this part of biblical history that so, um, I mean, Dan, the vision that God gave to not just to Daniel, but to Nebuchadnezzar that was interpreted by Daniel was a vision that gives us such a, um, such a detailed view of history. And so I want to I take you through that just a little bit. And hopefully as we look at this, it'll be uh, encouragement to us as we are living in history today. We're part of history. We're part of his story. And we don't know what's going to be written in the history books. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But we can learn from what God has done in the past and how he's worked in the past. And 
And this is why God has recorded these things for us in his word. They're examples for us. Um, so this great image that, that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about, he saw this, this image of a man, if, we, if you will, with the head of gold, arms and chest of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, and then feet and legs of iron and clay. And as he saw this image that represented these four kingdoms, these four world empires, he also saw uh, a stone that was cut out of a mountain. It says it was a stone that was cut out without hands. And let's just, let's just go and uh, let me just read to you verses 31 through 36. So Daniel chapter 2, verse, verses 31 through 36. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that there was no trace of them that was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. So that's the dream. So we've already talked about the image and the four um, metals and what those four metals in that image represented, these four kingdoms. I want to talk about this stone that was cut out without hands. Um, and I think you probably all realize the stone represents Christ. So a stone cut out without hands struck the image, so we, we should pay attention to the detail here. So this stone cut out without hands, what does that tell us? This is a dream that this pagan, unbelieving, heathen king had. And he didn't know what the interpretation meant. He didn't know what the dream meant. It troubled him. So God gave this king a troubling dream and vision, so troubling that he was ready to kill all the wise men of his kingdom because they could not tell him what the dream was. Not just the interpretation, but they couldn't tell him what the dream was. And he was very firm in this. No, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You tell me what the dream was, and you also give me the interpretation. He understood the significance of this dream and vision, so much so that he was ready to do great damage to his kingdom and to his court. And so God sends Daniel. Now, how did Daniel get there? See, this is the, this is the way we need to think about things. What were the circumstances by which Daniel ends up in Babylon to even be in a position to interpret the dream? 
Was it, a, was it good circumstances, joyful circumstances that brought Daniel to Babylon? No. Yeah, all of the, um, all of the smart, good-looking kids take those. So he would have been taken in the first invasion. And he would have been hand-selected based on probably his family, his education. He, wasn't, he, he was an adolescent probably at, at the oldest. Because they took them back and then they're going to educate them in the ways of the the Chaldeans and give them a good heathen education. And that's the education Daniel had, but he had already been educated in the ways of God and the things of God. But the circumstances by which Daniel came there were not good circumstances. Daniel was more than likely made a eunuch, which means he was in, in less than, you know, I mean, he was castrated. He would never marry. He would never be able to produce children. He was made a eunuch so that he would never be to any threat to any of the women in the king's court. And his sole purpose of existence in Babylon was to serve the king, to serve the king's court, to use his wisdom, his expertise to better the Babylonian kingdom. But Nebuchadnezzar had no idea what he was bringing to Babylon when he brought Daniel and his friends. But when he has this dream and his vision, by God's providence, by God's sovereignty, Daniel is in place to interpret the king's dream. And so he tells the king his dream And he says, now I'll give you the interpretation. So part of the dream was the stone cut out without hands. The stone was cut out and it struck the image. It says it struck the feet of the image. So if those four metals represent four kingdoms and that rock that was cut out without hands, that stone that was cut out without hands... It didn't hit the head of the kingdom. It hit the feet of that image. It didn't hit the head of the image. It didn't hit the chest or the belly. It hit the feet. So what does that tell us? So if that stone cut out without hands represents something, we know it does. Daniel goes ahead and gives the interpretation and says the God of heaven established a kingdom that will stand forever. And that kingdom will crush and consume all other kingdoms. So that stone cut out without hands represents a kingdom. And specifically, we know that stone represents Christ. And so that stone was brought to bear against this image, these kingdoms, at a specific time. It hits the feet of this image, which would have been representative of which Time in which empire? Which empire did the feet represent? The Roman Empire. Who was ruling the world when Christ was born? The Roman Empire. And so during the time of this fourth kingdom, the time of the Roman Empire, the time of Christ's incarnation and coming to earth, this is what, what is seen, what we now know as we look back in history into scripture and see this dream and this vision interpreted by Daniel recorded for us in scripture 
We have the luxury of looking back and seeing the fulfillment of these things and knowing exactly what that stone cut out without hands represents and what all those, those four medals and that great image represent. So the stone cut out without hands is Christ. He struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. He did this during the time of the fourth kingdom pictured in the great image, the legs and the feet of iron and clay. This is the Roman Empire. And after the stone struck the image on its feet, then the iron, the clay. Now, look, there's an order here. So now we're going in ascending order. We're going from the feet up. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff. From the, from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This pictures the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Those words are recorded for us in, in Revelation 11 verse 15. Let me read that verse to you. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, not coincidentally, Revelation eleven fifteen reveals the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, which is followed immediately by Revelation 12. What happens in Revelation 12? Well, it just so happens, or maybe it doesn't just so happen. Maybe this is the way God planned it. Maybe this is what is being revealed to John the Revelator. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, after all. And following Revelation 11:15 is Revelation 12, which pictures the woman who rep is represented by Israel, so if you look at the symbolism there in Revelation 12, the, the garland of 12 stars and the moon, and this is Israel. This is the, the, the dream of Joseph that he saw where his mother and father would bow down to him, where Israel would bow down to him. This is Israel, pregnant, giving birth to a male child who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Well, who do you think that male child is in Revelation chapter 12? It's Jesus. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we see the declaration from the seventh trumpet, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord in Christ. Then you have pictured the birth of Christ. And it is said in Revelation 12 that this child born of this woman, born of Israel, produced by the nation of Israel, would rule the nations with a rod of iron. Well, this is exactly what we see in Daniel. This is exactly what... God showed Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, 600 years before the birth of Christ. Now, Nebuchadnezzar didn't understand fully what he was seeing. Maybe Daniel didn't understand fully what he was seeing. But guess what we should fully understand? We should fully understand exactly what was being shown to the king, exactly what Daniel was interpreting, because we have it now. We don't just have that dream recorded. We don't just have the, the interpretation from Daniel recorded. 
We have the rest of Scripture, the completed canon of Scripture, and we've got the commentary that the Holy Spirit gave to John the Revelator right there for us in the book of Revelation. That is laying out for us the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, we go back to this picture of this image, this vision of this image. It also pictures the reality that in Christ... There is now no longer, so now I want to go back to this before I, 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 I hit this. Let's go back to, to what, what the scripture says. It says um, in verse 35, after the stone struck the image on its feet, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together, became like chaff. The wind carried them away and no trace of them was found. What should we how should we interpret that? There's a way we can interpret that in which we would say that, well, we know that's not true. So the Bible obviously is wrong. Is there any historical or archaeological evidence left of the Babylonian, the Persian, the Greek, the Roman Empire? Is there any trace of them left? You better believe there is. Yes, there's lots of trace of them left. Well, so, but the Bible says there's no trace of them left. So how do we interpret this? Uh, it makes me think of the golden calf incident when afterwards they had to crush that all. Mm-hmm. So the Christ is in Yeah, yeah. Right, and, and that's what happens here. Christ consumes these kingdoms. So think about two times Paul writes this. He writes it, I think, in Galatians, and he writes it in Colossians. These approximate words, this pictures. This is picturing. This is the reality that's being pictured here in this vision given to this pagan king. Paul gives us the commentary of the kingdom the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God that's consuming all kingdoms when he pins these words in the New Testament that says there is now no longer Jew nor Greek or Jew nor Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, no trace of these kingdoms is found, not because there's no history or archaeology to be found, but because the kingdom of Christ is not ultimately defined by earthly, temporal, carnal characteristics. God's kingdom that is filling the earth is characterized by the eternal and spiritual characteristics of Christ found in every aspect of kingdom life. And this is why Paul says, you're not Jew anymore, you're not Greek anymore, you're not you're not Arab anymore. You're not Irish anymore. You're not German. Well, that might be your, your heritage in this earth, but that's not your identity in the kingdom. That's not your kingdom identity. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ is not identified by those things. Now, it's interesting. Um, so you notice that when the Babylonian, the head of gold passes away, who takes its place? Well, the, the, the arms and chest of silver, which is represented by the Medo-Persian 
Empire, not just the Persian and not just the Medes, but the Medo-Persian. Because Cyrus, the guy who overthrew the Babylonians, his father was Persian, his mother was a Mede. And so the Persians and the Medes joined together and overthrew everybody else and established this second great world empire seen in this vision. And it was called the Medo-Persian Empire because it was represented by those two peoples. That's not the way Christ's kingdom works. Our identity is no longer in who we were according to the flesh. Our identity is now according to Christ. Christ identifies us. And so there is no trace of these kingdoms left in the kingdom of God. And this is what this is revealing to us. This is, what, this is how we're to understand this. All right, any thoughts about that? I also think that as time goes on and as Christ's kingdom ultimately conquers the entire earth and Christ comes back to rule and reign, that um, that will be seen in even more fullness where mm-hmm. all of those traces that we do see will either come in to glorify Christ or those traces themselves will end up will be destroyed and put away. Mm-hmm. So, Right. I don't think there's. I don't. I don't think uh, in relation to the the head of this image, but I think uh, the fact that a stone killed Goliath. I think we could. We could look at all types of foreshadowing there in terms of King David. You know, Christ is a descendant of David. There was a stone that he used to slay Goliath. Um, Christ is the stone cut out without hands. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's the kind of thing as we read the Bible, we need to read with eyes open to see these various ways because all of this is connected. Because uh, God is painting this, this amazing picture for us that has so much detail. We'll never be able to, to see it all, discern it all, but it's all there to, to give us this, this glorious picture. Yes, for seven years. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the reasons why we see a reverse here, is, and but we see that in the gold statue, obviously it's not the same vision, but we see the head of that empire get destroyed, essentially get cut down. You're right. And he comes to, you know, he comes yeah. to the kingdom himself, mm-hmm. and so I think in that vision we see that kind of reverse from mm-hmm. feet to head because it's a it's a redemptive destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like Goliath or the serpent was. Uh, not redemptive for those particular, you know, wasn't redeeming the wild. Right. But God is redeeming and receiving the nations of the world. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so um, then beginning in, um, let me just, so when you look at this in Daniel chapter 2, when we get to the end of verse 35, that is Daniel telling Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was. Then verse 36, Daniel says to the king, now this, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. And then that goes on through verse 45. Let me read those verses to you. Verse 37, you, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay." And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile or brittle. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, which kings? The kings of this fourth empire, the kings who are represented by the the legs and feet of iron and clay. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Now, just a note there, I think it's interesting that, um, do you see a different order here? So when he gives the interpretation of the dream, he gives the order that they broke and crushed the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold. That was the order the first time. This time, the order is different. It could mean nothing. But this time, he says, 
The iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. Which I find a little interesting. It may mean absolutely nothing. But I just think God inspires things for a reason. And if you think about the transition from the Greek to the Roman Empire. You know, we read these things in the Bible and we think one day, you know, uh, this guy's ruling. And then we see where this guy's ruling. We think it just happened instantaneously and it didn't. There was a lot going on over decades or centuries that brought about the transition. Well, this is exactly what happens with Greece and Rome. There's no like sudden quick transition. Remember, Alexander dies early on, divides the kingdom, and then for, for a couple of centuries or more, the Greeks are, are ruling. This empire is divided into four. And in the Middle East, in Palestine, in Israel, uh, it's Antiochus Epiphanes, only part of this kingdom that was divided. And then you see the Ptolemies, this dynasty which comes out of the Greek Empire, now is mixing with Julius Caesar, Mark Antony through Cleopatra. It was the defeat of Cleopatra and Mark Antony by Octavian, remember, who brought an end to the Ptolemy Empire and the, the complete end of the Greek Empire and so when Daniel gives the interpretation, he changes the order and goes iron, bronze, clay, silver, gold. And I think it's a nod to those, those centuries in the intertestamental period where the Jews are being ruled by this Greek general and these Greek dynasties. And while this is happening, Rome is rising and these two dynasties and empires kind of come together and flirt with, with joining together, but they don't. And ultimately, Rome overthrows the last remnant of that Greek empire. Uh, and I think that's what we see here in the order that Daniel gives. I think it's, 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 that's kind of interesting uh, to me that that order has changed. Now, you would, never, you would never know that if you didn't know history. You would just not think anything about that. And that should make us think about that proverb that says it's the honor of God. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the honor of kings to search out a matter. And we just have no idea what is concealed in God's word that's waiting for us to find. There's so much in there. All right, so in the days of these kings of the Roman Empire, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. Now, this should make us think of a, of a scripture in Isaiah. Anybody know what it is? And unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and upon his shoulders, the, 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 and upon, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. So 500 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah prophesied this, more than 500 years actually. He prophesied this, talking about the, the birth of Christ. Well, right here, 
We know that in the days of these kings, God will, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall, have, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. So what's happening with the head of gold? It's overthrown by the, by the Medo-Persians, the arms and chest of silver. Then they're overthrown by the Greeks, the belly of bronze and thigh, the thigh and belly of bronze. And then it's overthrown by the Romans. What's happening to these kingdoms? All of these kingdoms are going to other people. They're just being overthrown by other people assimilated in, in all of these empires. Now we come to this stone cut out without hands that becomes a mountain that fills the earth, a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And, and God says of his kingdom, his kingdom will stand forever. It'll never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It is God's kingdom. It is the kingdom of Christ and of Christ's church and Christ's people and it will always be our kingdom. It will never go to another people. What, what should that, how should we how should we understand that? What should that help us? How should that help us look at history? How should that help us look at what's happening in the world around us? As we think the world is falling, the sky is falling, and we think, you know, everything is, is horrible and things are coming apart at the seams, and are they? Mm -hmm. We have a sure foundation that yeah. is, will far surpass anything that the world has. Absolutely. And look what it says here. It says, and the kingdom shall not be left to, enough to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. In the interpretation, uh, Daniel likens it to chaff on the threshing floor ground to powder, blown away with the wind. Now, if you think about that process, that's a, that's a I mean, if we're living in a world and, and this kingdom of God is grinding all the other kingdoms to powder and they're going to ultimately be blown away and there's not going to be any trace left of them, as we experience that, is that happening in our day and time right now? Are the kingdoms of this world being ground to powder? They are. Yes, we just can't see it because we're living in the midst of it. We, we read the scripture, we read history, and we read the highlights, but we don't read everything that's happening along the way, that is happening along the way, that's doing exactly what the Bible says is happening to these kingdoms. What's happening to America right now? We don't really know, do we? We don't know if America is being ground to powder and it's going to be blown away with the wind. Or we don't know if America is being taken through the refining fire and she's going to come out more pure on the other side. We don't know that. But we do know that if we are discerning, we do know that we are living in a time... Uh, and in a nation and a culture that's going through traumatic things. 
and, and it's and it's slow in some ways, but yet we've seen in the just the last within the last decade we've seen the acceleration of things. In the last five years, we've seen the acceleration of things in a way that we probably, I know for me personally, I, I, the things that I've seen happen in five years are things I would, didn't think I would see happen in 25 years. But here they are. So this is happening right now. God is, his kingdom is here. It will not pass away to other people it will last forever. It is consuming the kingdoms of this world. And just because we don't have a Roman emperor or a Caesar sitting on a throne somewhere in Rome, don't think that these empires or there are not people who are still trying to create their world empires. They are. They don't control large swaths of the world the way the Romans did. But there are people seeking to control this world, even right now. And God knows who they are, and God is doing his work to cause his kingdom to fill this earth. And we're, we're part of this. We're experiencing both the, the pain and the glory of it as it's happening. I think we can't always see the empire that we're building. Like, yeah. Buying up tons of land yeah. under a specific name and you can't figure out who it is. Like, you don't know what they're trying to do. Right. Or, yeah. yeah. I think the the, just look different now. Absolutely they do. And we have some that look the same. So you got China who has made no bones about it. They've said it. They want to take over the world. They want to take over the world currency. They want to take over the world economy. They want to rule the world. So you do have nations like that who are doing the same thing the Greeks and the Romans and the Persians and the Babylonians did. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. So, again... Um, we need to know the days of these kings. Well, we know when that is. That was the days of the Romans. Now think about it. It was in the days of these kings that's describing the Roman Empire that ruled the world during the birth of Christ who was the stone cut out without hands. Rome also oversaw his crucifixion that resulted in his victorious resurrection and his ascension. Now, the crucifixion is a perfect example of what we're talking about. How victorious did a stripped Jesus beat to look like bloody ground meat hanging on a cross? How victorious did that look? There was nothing victorious looking about what happened to Jesus on the cross. But it was absolutely victorious. And all of this happened under this kingdom that would crush every other kingdom under its iron feet and did until the God of heaven established a kingdom that would never be destroyed when he sent his son born in the most unassuming ways. You look at everything God did in bringing about his kingdom was contrary to the way man would bring about a kingdom. 
So when we look at things today, we need to think about that and not look at and discern things based on how man's wisdom does it. We got to go back to the Bible and think about how did God do this? He did it in very contrarian ways. And so what happened when the God of heaven set up this kingdom that shall never be destroyed, a kingdom that should not be left to other people, as all of these other kingdoms were? Well, that kingdom consumed all the other kingdoms. And so if you think about it, it was that kingdom. It was through the victory of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ that the crushing of that empire, the Roman Empire, under the weight of the glorious gospel of the kingdom, that gospel is still crushing kingdoms today. And we should remember that. 